Boy, do we have a banger for you today. Matt Naismith did not disappoint. This dude is funny, great personality, told some great stories. We talked, uh, he had some great Siwoo Kim stories for all our fellow Siwoo Kim lovers out there. Matt says he's the funniest guy on tour. He had a couple really good Siwoo Kim stories. We talked about Liv. We talked about Liv Golf and its impact, obviously. Uh, Matt is a total golf addict. He really is. Like, golf junkie. We talked about that. He's a big stats guy, which, you know, we don't talk to a lot of guys, PJ Tour guys, that dig into and dive into the stats in, in the same ways that Matt Naismith talked about. Um, he's got a stats guy, but he's also very involved in it. So we talked about that and kind of just predicting golf and how hard it can be. Uh, a lot of other good stuff, uh, some of his favorite places to play, where he thinks he's going to lock up that first victory. He's a big fantasy football guy. Talked a little bit about that. And his guilty pleasure musician of choice might be the most embarrassing of any pro we've ever asked about in seven years. But Matt Naismith was an absolute gem. I love the guy. I hope I get a chance to meet him. Big fan of him after this. Even bigger fan, shall I say. And I think you will be too. And if you enjoy the podcast, please leave a five-star review and uh, say something nice on Apple Podcasts. Also consider leaving a review on Spotify. It helps us out a lot. It's something free, something quick, easy that you can do to help us. It helps promote the show and helps it get discovered by other listeners and golf addicts like yourself. It's just a nice thing to do. It takes a lot of work to come up with these interviews and nail these guys down and ask them the questions and do the technology and edit it and publish it and all that crap. So you can say thank you by just simply leaving those five-star reviews. All right, enjoy Matt Naismith. What's going on, Golf Addicts? Happy to have Matt Naismith with us. Matt is a fellow Augusta guy, kind of played golf at University of South Carolina. We know him as a very good ball striker out on the PJ Tour, seeking his first victory. Came real close this year at the Valspar. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Matt, thanks for uh, coming on the show. We appreciate it, man. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me. All right. So, Matt, we, got, we know you as a ball striking son of a gun. You know, I mean, we, we, we track this stuff regularly. We look at it all the time. Uh, you're kind of known in the DFS betting streets as a guy who, you know, has made a lot of cuts this year, got some top 25s, pretty consistent player in terms of a ball striker. You don't have those really bad uh, off weeks, uh, if you look at the strokes gain data anyway. Uh, but always interesting to hear from a player, like kind of how you see yourself. But I also know, like you're you're you use a stats guy, and you look at this stuff yourself, which is really interesting. Um, as we we know guys that don't look at it at all. We've we talked to Harold Varner the third a couple of weeks ago, who said he listens to us to understand the stats for the week, which is ridiculous. Um, but how how do you go about using that to help you break down, you know, an event each week and talk to us about that stats guy relationship that you have? Yeah, um, I use a lot of it to kind of figure out where I can improve one and two, where it all makes sense to um, kind of hit driver and and try and take advantage of the golf course the way it best suits me. And so it's been it's been a huge huge kind of improvement. I mean, I jumped up probably sixty five seventy spots on on the uh, on the strokes gained off the tee just because. I knew when to hit driver and I didn't even have to hit the fairway for it to be able to, uh, be positive. And plus it gave me better opportunities with shorter clubs in. So I was definitely a little bit too conservative my first couple of years on tour. So I'm learning on how to be a little bit more aggressive, but I didn't just want to go out there and be aggressive for no reason. I wanted to go out there and be able to kind of strategically pick where I wanted to hit driver and where it made sense and what flags it made sense to, um, and kind of go from there. So that's something we talk about a good bit too. Like when we're breaking down a golf course um, and evaluating, like, uh, you know, one of the first questions we ask ourselves on a golf course is like, all right, is this a, is this a golf course where you can play from the rough, you, you know, that where maybe some of the longer hitters or, or everybody is going to, is going to kind of say to themselves, I, I, you know, whether it's, whether it's in the rough, but if I, if I'm in the rough, but I have a much shorter club, you know, maybe it's a club or two, I'm just going to take that over, over, you know, over being in the fairway. What are those things that you're looking for to determine that? I mean, obviously, I guess rough, the, the, whatever type of rough it is or how thick it is, or is it going to fall to the bottom? Is it going to not? Is there something about the, the green complexes as well that you guys kind of take into account to say, all right, let's, let's send it on driver if maybe the green complexes you know, have openings in the front or whatever that may be? I don't know. Like, how do you, how do you guys determine that? Well, um, he's... A guy worked with Hunter Stewart. Um, he works with Maverick McNeely and uh, Scott Stallings as well. And a lot of it from his perspective has been kind of crunching shot link data and looking at like, hey, I know it probably doesn't 
look like the best. I know it probably doesn't look right, but the the right rough here on like I, I'll give the example of eight at um, eight at Napa or number I think it's three at Detroit. If you hit it in that right rough or in the fairway, if it's basically just right of the left rough line, um, guys, it's some of the most friendly rough on tour. Hmm. So it doesn't exactly matter whether you get a good lie or based on the rough height or anything on how you play it. It's basically looking at data from however long the tournament's been there and saying, all right, well, this rough right here to all to this pin is really, really friendly. So it's kind of saying, all right, well, we're going to hit, we're just going to try and hit the fairway. And if we miss it, we're going to miss it a little bit. Right. And if that's what happens and we hit it in that right rough, it plays really friendly. And most of the time it makes sense. Like it'll be a back flag with a little bit of a plateau and it's actually like a tougher shot from the fairway for the most part. I mean, it's tough to control your spin and it's tough to like, especially if it's soft. I mean, you get a back flag and you hit it 85 yards I and mean, we're going to put 11,000, 10,000 spin on that. And there's not any room to throw it past the hole, you know? So if you do hit it actually in the right rough, you can throw something kind of below the slope and have it run up it and run up. maybe even control your spin a little bit more. So there are, tons of holes kind of like that throughout the tour um schedule that we're able to kind of pick and choose where we do things to that's i mean that's that's very interesting that you're breaking it down that 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 in detail we've not talked to somebody that does that just yet and and the proof has worked for you this year you talked about how i guess last year in driving you were like 150th or 60th or something and now you're like set you were 70th instructing off the tee um so what you guys were looking at we pulled some numbers and just it, Apparently on on what we looked at, you were like top twenty five or number twenty four, I think it was in strokes gain approach overall. So the ball striking is definitely there. You're one of the best iron players in the world, you know, if you th- if you think about it that way. Um, and so you've improved drastically with the uh, with the driver, which obviously helped. So it seems like the the next thing that I'm sure you're working on is like how do we get the putter, you know, going? And and I think you mentioned you felt like you putted better than maybe the numbers show. Talk through that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I did, I have, so Hunter will, I'll, I'll call Hunter and be like, Hey, I, I switched um, putting coaches probably in the early part of, of this year. And I was like, I want to see what the difference is based on what's, what was I more consistent? Was I gaining strokes at all? And where did we, did we do anything better? Did we do anything better basically? Cause I moved up probably 35 spots strokes gained putting uh, throughout the year. But um, my, my worst rounds were way better. And I still, I, I just kind of chipped away at it. And we talk about it all the time. Those, those can be a little bit misleading because yeah. strokes gained putting is for a guy like me is going to be extremely difficult. Like I, I just like zero to me would be like being top 15 in the world. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah just because I hit so many greens, like I get, like, if you, if I miss a 20 footer, if I miss a 20 footer, it's minus 0.3 or minus 0.03 or something like that. And so if I have eight of those around and I don't have, and I don't really make anything like those add up really, really quickly. And so it's hard for me to be a guy like Denny McCarthy, who's going to gain a stroke around. Yeah. Um, and Dave's one of the best putters in the world, probably the best putter in the world, especially the best one I've ever been around. Um, and it's just hard for me to compete with that, just with how many greens I hit, how many opportunities I have. But there's there's a goal for me. Like if I'm positive, if I'm positive for the year, I had a, I bet you I, yeah. I either won once or maybe maybe twice, or I bet you I played awesome. So the goal for me is just to kind of continually, steadily improve and have my pad, my bad putting days not be minus two and a half, which yeah. they have been in the past. Um, and we're just kind of working at it that way. And I, I have been a heck of a lot better. And I got, there was a few places where I struggled a little bit, like players was impossible. I mean, I got that wave where you're we on the wave. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was, you also lost putting, like I four th- strokes on approach, which is very wild for you. So it was, it was <laughs> yeah. clearly the wave. Uh, it was, it was extremely, extremely tough. So, um, yeah. but yeah, I think I did a really good job. I gained, I actually gained strokes over the course of, um, from about mid fall last year throughout the end of the season with the putter. I mean, it was like 0.01, but we'll count that yeah. in the positive. And that's the goal. The goal is to just be consistent and try and continue to get better. So I've been trending that way. And um, I think it's going to continue for the next year. Well, I want to ask you about, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to stand too, too long here into the, the, the data nerd stuff, but I do want to ask you about Valspar. I think I had you on my betting card that week. Um, we, I know I had you on there a lot this year. 
Uh, and and it was a, it was you, you had you felt the heat, right? Like you were there late on Sunday, doing your thing uh, in contention late. And I, I always kind of like to look at a guy who is yet to win on the PGA Tour and like see them in that in that late Sunday hunt first. And then, and then like, once they feel that, if they, if they happen to miss out on the opportunity, I feel like they learn a lot. Right. And, and you guys take a, a lot away from that. And so next time where I feel like the, the form is right and things are peaking and all the things look good. And I want to take a stab at you, you know, I, I feel a lot better about it after a guy's kind of been through the fire. So like talk about that day at Valspar and maybe what you may have learned that you'll carry forward you know, this season, as you find yourself in contention again, I'm, I'm sure multiple times. Yeah. Um, Valspar was really cool. I mean, I hadn't been, I hadn't been really, really in contention. Um, probably hardly at all in my first two years. Most of the times I played well, I thought kind of backdoor to top 20 or kind of backdoor to top 10, never really felt the heat on Sunday. I just played great on Sunday and was able to kind of sneak in there. But Valspar, I mean, I was in it from, the back starting the back nine on Friday, all the way through the last putt on Sunday. So it was really cool. I mean, it feels the same. Like, I mean, to me, the Augusta area junior golf association, the, the biggest tournament we had was the Rob Perry when I was 10, 11 years old. Like that felt the same to me as Valspar. I mean, it's a, it's a completely different level, but all of that pressure still feels the same. I mean, it's still, you still want it. You still want to play well. You still feel nervous, regardless if you're playing for a little trophy or we're playing for millions of dollars. So yeah. it was really cool to be in it. And it's nice to know that I can kind of stick in there and get it. By the way, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but Rob, Rob Perry is the brother of my, my co-host, Pat Perry, who's, who's unable really? to join us. I didn't know that. Yeah, they, they grew up at Augusta Country Club. Uh, yeah. Rob's Pat's brother, great guy. We love, we love Pat. We love m- memorializing Rob as well, and that's a great tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So t- talk to me, one last question here about kind of golf course stuff. Is you look ahead to this year's PJ Tour schedule, like what are those courses that, you know, whether you play well on them in the past or not, like what are the courses that you look at and kind of circle and say like, that's a course that I really feel, you know, sets up the best for me in order to kind of close the door and get that first win uh, notched on your belt there? Yeah, well, I mean, I've already gone through kind of schedule stuff with Hunter. Um, I mean, there's obviously places like I like it's very interesting because there's a place like Arnold Palmer, like Bay Hill should be right up my alley. Yep. And I haven't made a cut there in the first two years. Yeah, um, it should be right up my alley. And then there are kind of places. I mean, there's a lot of middle of the road. I'm, my game fits a lot of places. Yep. Um, but Vegas is and especially in the fall, Vegas Shriners is all I could ever ask for. A golf really? course. So um I mean, I'm very excited. I've played well there in my first few years and it makes sense. I mean, Shriners isn't a place where you can shove driver everywhere. So everybody's got to play from where I play from. And so I doesn't, it doesn't freak me out off the tee. Um, I can lay up a lot and kind of hit a lot of shorter irons and eight irons and seven irons and nine irons and stuff, which is right in my kind of bread basket, but everybody, but no one else can really, there's no really other way to push it there. Like, other golf courses you can lay back because you want to, or you can push it because there's room at Shriners. You don't really have the option to push it. And so everyone has to play from where I play from. So we all play from the same spots and I feel pretty confident in my game when, when uh, yep. golf courses like that set up. Yep. Awesome. All right. So you and I, there's fun fact about you and I, right? I obviously grew up around the Augusta area, but before you were working with Gary Crescent, I was probably working with Gary Crescent. And Gary managed to turn me from a 10 handicap to a 12 handicap in about three months. So uh, I'm curious to know about how you kind of, you know, I mean, did you get hooked up with Gary through the Augusta connections? I'm sure you did. But I mean, he's kind of a new, like, right? Like, he's kind of a newer coach on the PJ Tour. It's just within the last few years, he's kind of started assembling guys like you and Norlander and, um, uh, and others. So other Augusta, another Augusta guy and friend of ours. So like talk about Gary, kind of how that whole thing's gone down, how you're working with him, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I went to school with an Augusta guy named Dykes Harbin. Yep. Um, who, uh, played at Carolina with me and he's been working with Gary for a long time. And, uh, another guy, Grayson Sig, um, who's I've grown up with from being around here. Um, and then obviously I, I wasn't, I'm not, I'm a little bit younger than Henrik, but I'd seen Henrik play a good bit. And, 
I was just kind of, I wasn't hitting it very well. I was trying to figure some stuff out. And I went to the North Carolina, South Carolina game, maybe in 2018. Um, and I saw Dykes up there and we obviously talking about golf and whatever. And I was asking him about Gary cause Dykes, man, when we were playing in college was hit it so good. I mean, absolutely striped it. And so I was like, all right, well, he's in Augusta. I can kind of go in there and see, uh, see what he would say. And I was right before Q school and I had nothing to lose. And, um, went over there and made it through first stage, then made it through second. And then I don't, I can't remember if I made it through finals that year or not, but there was just some immediate progression the second I started, uh, kind of going over there. So I was just like, all right, well, we'll see where this thing goes the next few months. And I got my corn fairy card. I finished 15th or I finished eighth in my first event. And then we were off and running. And so he's really been a great tool for me to use. And, and the cool part about it is, is all his guys hit it a little bit different. I mean, Sig's a drawer, Henrik's a cutter. I'm kind of in the middle. There is no, we're going to try and do this so we can hit this kind of ball flight. It's mm-hmm. kind of, all right, well, let's take what you do really naturally and what you see naturally and try to make it as good as we can. Yeah. I mean, like, it seems like when you think about Sig, Norlander, you, I mean, those are three really, really, really good iron players uh, statistically. And so like, is it safe to say, I mean, do you feel like your, your iron play has always been the strongest aspect of your game or, or and, and it just, it kind of got a little bit better with Gary or did it really take like a significant leap? So you may have heard us talk about the nut hut. You're like, what is the nut hut? Well, the nut hut is our private discord server. If you're like, what is discord? Well, it's kind of like a, a messenger application, like Slack or something like that, but it's way cooler. Okay. And our private Discord server is where a community of golf-loving, just golf junkies and addicts gather. Every single day, 24-7, there's somebody in there chatting it up. We've got uh, approaching 1,000 members in the Nut Hut. And it's people who love to bet on golf, who love to watch golf, who love to play golf, who love to play DFS. And it's where all of our inside information goes. If we have a caddy, if we get caddy information, if we're on site that week as media, or we have somebody with us as media, uh, all the inside information from the golf course goes into the Nut Hut and is shared with Nut Hut members. We have a weekly uh, input from Caddy John, who spent 12 years on the PJ Tours of Caddy. He gives us all kind of intel on the golf course and other things that he knows and finds. It's where we do our Wednesday night live chat every single week before the tournament starts on a Thursday. Me and Pat, uh, our friend Ben Little, other members of the Nut Hut community get in and do a live Wednesday night chat. We have drinks, we talk about what we're doing, we talk about lineups, we talk about betting, we talk about strategy, whatever it is, we talk about it, and the Nut Hut is the place to be on Wednesday night. Now, if you're thinking, hey, it's, it's football season, maybe it is, maybe it's not, I don't know, whenever you're hearing this, it doesn't matter. We have every sport imaginable. If you can play DraftKings on it, if you can bet on it, if you can gamble on it in any way, it's in the Nut Hut. We got people talking about it all the time. Every sport, we've got experts, we've got listeners that are great in every single sport available. Since June of 2020, NutHut members have won a verified $6 million in daily fantasy and betting. It's amazing. We've got a ton of sharp people in there, a ton of sharp minds in there playing DFS and betting on sports. The NutHut's where it's at. Plus, it's just a great community. We've, we've grown to make a lot of friends, internet friends there in the NutHut, and it's just a great time. So we encourage you to stop by, give it a look. The description and the link to get in the Nut Hut is below. Check it out. You can cancel it anytime. No questions asked. Give it a shot. Try it out. We bet you like it. Oh yeah. Plus you get 20% off all your tourjunkies.com slash shop merchandise purchases. I promise you, you'll make your money back. Check out the Nut Hut description below. Let's get back to the podcast. Um, yeah, iron play was always kind of my bread and butter. It always has been, but I definitely got more consistent. Um, I got more consistent to be able to go day in and day out, hit the shots that I wanted to hit and play the golf course. Like I wanted to play it. So for me, I've always been able to hit it well, but there were all these kind of lapses. There'd be like 12 holes or two days or stuff like that, where on the PJ tour, it's very, you have to be incredibly consistent with how you hit it. I mean, the best the best in the world are like that. I mean, you watch Rory hit a driver. There are very few days that he doesn't hit it 335 yards yeah. down the middle of the fairway, you know? So I think there are guys that are very, very good at doing what they do really well. Like John Rom. John Rom's a guy who, I mean, he can cut it 25 yards with a driver and fly at 310 every day he wakes up. I mean, that's extremely beneficial that's for pretty, him, you know? Cool. And yeah, yeah. I, I would love to do that. <laughs> 
Um, but that, I think that's what the best do well. They're super consistent. They always kind of, they're always kind of in the same kind of pattern with their golf swing, their ball flight. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm, I mean, I hit it really straight. It's a little bit of a blessing and a curse. I mean, it's hard to kind of be, if you're not swinging very good, it's hard not, it's hard to know where the ball is going to go. Um, but when I'm swinging good, I'm pretty dialed. So it's, uh, just trying to make everything more consistent. Just trying to continue to wake up day in and day out and hit the same ball flight. Have you done any of this distance chasing stuff? I mean, it's not like you're short, um, but you're talking about, you know, you just mentioned a couple of long, long drivers of the golf ball. Like, yeah. Have you done any of that? Um, well, the cool part is, is another thing that I've found with Gary. When I, when I went to see Gary in 2018, I was swinging at 112 and had 167 mile an hour ball speed. And now on tour, my, my average over the last few years, uh, this year was the, was definitely the longest. My average is like 115 and 173 and a half. So I've picked up six miles an hour, six and a half miles an hour with just getting my golf swing in a little better spot where I could actually make a little bit of a bigger swing and it not feel, it feels normal to me. Like it feels normal for me to make a bit, a little bit bigger swing. I didn't exactly realize, um, how ner- how scared or nervous I was about the driver over the last probably eight years or so. So I just wouldn't swing at it. I didn't even realize it. You know, I didn't even yeah, realize yeah. that I didn't, that I would just kind of take it short and try to hit it in a fairway and giving up all kind of, I'm a big guy. I mean, I could swing it hard and hitting it far is a huge advantage. And yeah. so being able to pick up some distance just by not really even doing anything that I wouldn't normally do, you know, is, has been really cool. That's good. Well, clearly, uh, you know, clearly Gary had to, had to, you know, fine tune his craft through guys like me to get to you and uh, God <laughs> bless the broken road, you know, that led Gary to you, man. Um, okay. So who's your caddy? Who, who's and how, like, how'd you, how'd you hook up with your caddy? Any good stories? We love caddies on the tour junkie show. Uh, Mick, Mick Brennan is my caddy and he used to caddy for Steven Bowditch for about oh, five years stop. so uh, those are boy he, yeah so he's got some, uh he's got some great uh Baldo stories he's also very uh he's very private he likes to keep everything in house <laughs> um which is funny so but uh i met him through actually my agent my agent was kind of looking around trying to I, I was i just had a buddy caddy for me on the corn ferry and was like all right I'll, maybe we'll try and find something and he was he was off and, um, him and Bauta had kind of stopped working together and he was kind of looking for a new bag. And I said, we'd try and give it a shot at, uh, Springfield, Illinois, probably three quarters of the way through my, my corn fairy year. And we won about a month yeah, and a half yeah. later and we've yeah. been on the PJ tour ever since. So and he's a great dude. He's been caddying for me ever since. So this is just over three years now. I've, I've, I've really enjoyed him. Um, I think if it, was he with Baudo in 2016, the players, uh, probably that would make sense. He, they did, he, they won Valero together. They won Byron together. I think 16 may have been the last year. So I'm going to do this. I don't know if you'll be able to see it, but I'm going to move my camera up above that, above that TV screen. See that caddy bib yep. up there? Yep. That's Baudo's or that, that's your boy mix. Caddy bib. That's Nick's caddy bib. I, uh, there you go. Well, uh, Bauta was trunk slamming early uh, in 2016 at the Players, and um, uh, he, and they got called off the golf course because of rain and weather. Two holes with two holes left to play in in the round. He said, in, "See you later." In round two, yeah. <laughs> so I'm having beers with Bauta that night. I'm like, "Where's where's where's Mick at?" or whatever, and he's like, uh, "Oh, Mick, he went home to Orlando or something or wherever he was living." He's like, "He's got a." daughter or some something he had to make or I, I can't remember what it was and mm-hmm. i was like well who's gonna caddy for you tomorrow you got two holes left to play he's like i don't know i'll just get coach you know hamilton scott hamilton, hamilton whatever, yeah. come come loot for him. i was like dude let me do it he's like you you want to caddy <laughs> two holes i was like yeah yeah i do i want to caddy so i caddied number number eight number nine he had started he had started on the back for round two but i got a caddy <laughs> number eight and nine uh to to come in off the bench and hey i gotta hey. say this you know tell your boy mick in, in those two holes, Baudo had two putts. Boom. Pretty good. Boom. Um, you read them greens, baby. Now, hey, man, that's a resume bumper right there. I know. Now, when we got on number eight, he put in the left bunker, and I started to rake it, and uh, Baudo t- literally took the rake out of my hand, which was embarrassing. Um, 
I was a caddy at Augusta National. I thought like I knew how to rake a bunker. Baldo was like, no, 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 give it to me. No. <laughs> and then I dropped. And then on number nine, walking down the fairway, Baldo's towel fell off the back, and I had to turn around and go. Hey, it was a rough two holes. Uh, hey, it happens. My uh, one of my best friends um, caddied for me at the U.S. Open in 2015, and uh, when we went off, when we went off the practice round on number ten, he <laughs> went off the practice round. He forgot the towel on the tee. And he forgot to pin sheet for the day and had to run back to the, the tee with like Hideki and like Lee Westwood on the tee. And he, had, oh. he was like, I am so stupid. Yikes. <laughs> so I, I give him, I give him, uh, I give him some hell every time I see him about it. I was like, Hey man, don't forget that towel. Oh my God. All right. I'll, we also asked this question to every tour player um, just to see if we can uncover another good one. Uh, the most electric player on the PGA Tour, we already know, is Siwoo Kim. Uh, so the question is, do you have any experiences, any stories, any interactions oh. with the legend of Siwoo Kim? That guy is probably the funniest guy on tour. Yes. He doesn't even try to be either. He's yes, the funniest he guy on tour. Um, he, uh, I played with, there's, I've got a couple Siwoo Kim stories just from being oh. around him. Um, we could see I almost knocked over. Yeah, I almost knocked over his coffee in the in the physio lounge uh, earlier this year, and it was probably like eleven thirty. It was actually a year ago. It was at John Deere, and I almost knocked over. It was probably eleven thirty in the morning. I look at him, and go, oh, "See, I'm sorry." And he looks at me, and goes, "No, no coffee, no pro am." It's like eleven thirty <laughs> in the morning. Um, that was pretty good. Um, he walked on the tee at Valero a few years ago and looked at his caddy because it was like supposed to rain and like not be the best weather. And he walked up on the tee and he looked at his cat. He goes, I do not care today. Do not care. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was just like, and then, uh, he doesn't I care with any... Troy Mer- yeah, it doesn't care at all. Most I played days. with Troy Merritt earlier this year. Um, and he kept going, he kept going, I Barbasol champ, bro. And I was like, what are you, what are you and your caddy talking about? His caddy used to caddy for Siwoo. And he said, Siwoo hit it in this left rough. I don't remember where maybe Memorial hit it in this left rough on this par five. And it was sitting down and he was like, he was like, well, what are you going to hit? We need to lay up and probably hit like a nine iron. He said, Siwoo pulled out driver to hit it out of the rough. And he was like, Siwoo, what are you doing? He said, Siwoo looked at him and goes, I played with champ, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Did he hit it? He's a trip. I guess. I don't know. I never heard the end of the story. Oh my God. Was, That's amazing. Going, I played with champ, bro. <laughs> we're, we're about to put that on a t-shirt. I got to tell you right now. Um, I mean, it was, it was, it was awesome. I mean, I played with Mackenzie Hughes earlier this year at DC and Mackenzie, uh, it was, it was like 40 degrees and raining and Mackenzie somehow birdied the first two holes and walking to the third tee, Siwoo goes, Hey Mac, how's it feel? Go Eagle, Eagle first two holes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I love him. Oh. And he and he uh, later on that day he it was it was he played pretty good he was like one under and it's absolutely soaking wet on every tee box soaking wet and he hit this tee ball on eighteen after being like like maybe two under he moved up like thirty five spots and he just went to the ground holding his leg in full rain suit like he's just holding leg. I'm like oh my god like he just like he just tore his ACL or did something happen and after like he was on the ground for like thirty seconds he looks up at me because I'm about to tee up my ball and he's cramped. <laughs> like, like what are you doing man? Uh, uh, dude I, he's, he's got some good ones he's a funny man dude he's very funny we have some good ones too from that we've heard from i'm sure about him uh we got a chance to talk to him a couple times this year we're he's our white whale to get on the podcast um, so he said he said he would do it but it's it's one thing for him to say that another thing for us to actually get him on here god that's funny all right um, I got to ask you, you know, about what's going on in the world of golf, right? We got this live stuff happening. Um, and I was, we actually just interviewed Grayson Sig a, a week or so ago and I was talking to him about it. I think it was the day after they had the, the, the meeting, the, the tiger, you know, in the Aeropostale shirt driving the <laughs> Nissan, um, into that meeting. And I can't believe let Ricky let him drive. Can't believe Ricky let him doing? drive. Oh, I can't believe anyone lets him out of the house wearing what he wears <laughs> off the golf course. If it weren't for Nike, Tiger would. Um, he's, just, he's just struggling. So it was like the day after, and, and Grayson was like, listen, man, like I don't quite 
see yet, and and obviously a lot of details have to be flushed out of the of that 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 plan. But you know, Grayson's thing was like for me, I'm a guy in this range where it's like, how do I get into this elevated event field, right? It, and maybe it's 60 guys. We've heard that 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 number is just kind of arbitrary. Maybe it's 60 guys. Maybe it's 80 guys, and and they do these elevated events and. So Grayson was like, you know, it is a concern of mine as to how, what, what the path is for me to get there and how the tour is going to facilitate up and coming really good players to, to find their way in there. I mean, it, you know, guys like, when I was talking about, you know, we talked about Cameron Young, like when Cameron Young came out of the Corn Ferry Tour last year, I mean, he wasn't even. Nobody knew who he was. He wasn't even one of the top Corn Ferry Tour guys that people were talking about. Mm-hmm. But then he, he elevates so quickly. And so how does that work? So for me, I, you know, I look at a guy like you and it's, I feel like you and Sig are in that same kind of ballpark, right? Where you're, you've got a lot of promise. You got, you're doing a lot of things really well. And you're, you're really counting on, like you said, if you could just be 0.0 in putting, you're going to have a win or two on tour. You're going to have some top tens in there. You're going to be in contention more. So you're this close. Like, what are your concerns with some of this new stuff that's been rolled out or talked about uh, in terms of, of what the tour is trying to do? Well, as as bluntly as a buddy of mine, Victor Hovland, told me in Riviera this year, just play better. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I mean, I was telling I was telling Victor, I was like, man, we got kind of screwed with this. Like it was like it was the wind delay at Riv a couple years ago, and I was like, man, this kind of sucks and blah blah. And he looked at me and just goes, "Well, just play better." <laughs> and I was like, okay, man. Well, bluntly, that uh, is true. I mean, the reason Cameron Young is the reason where he is now is because he's played good golf. I mean. If like we're in a sport where the cool part is we can help ourselves out. I mean, at some point in time, like we just have to play good golf. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course you want to be included in this small field kind of big purse events, but you got to earn your way in there. They don't just give it to you. I mean, it's something that we've done at every level. You had to earn your way through Q school. You had to earn your way to get your PGA tour card. You had to earn your way to keep your PGA tour card. Like at some point in time, you just got to play good golf. If playing good golf takes care of a lot of things. So, yeah. Um, we can kind of gripe and moan about all this not being included, but we can include ourselves in that if we just play good. Yeah. Uh, have you, you know, Max Homa talked about on the No Land Up podcast a couple of weeks ago how everybody's gotten an offer. Have you gotten an offer, seen an offer from Liv? No, I mean, it's more so, it's not that Liv kind of, they came out obviously and tried to get some like your Tigers and your Rory's and stuff like that. But after that, it was just guys who wanted to, see what they had. If you had any interest in going, you could, you, you could out. set it up however you wanted to, you know, that's, that's kind of how it goes. Um, but I have, I haven't had any interest to go over there. So no. Dude, who's been the biggest surprise name for you that's gone over to live? Uh, I don't know, man. I don't really think there's really any surprises that have gone over there just because I mean, guys just want to, they want to make money and that's what we're here to do. And obviously we want to play for millions or millions of dollars and play for trophies and stuff like that. But it's kind of like what Harold said. I mean, you get that for a guy from Gastonia. I mean, that's life changing money. That changes the the trajectory of his family and changes the trajectory of things he can do in his community. I mean, I don't think, I, I think, I think I'm a little bit too close to a word. I just under understand it. I understand why everybody's gone. Maybe the most surprising person that I had heard about going was probably Hudson Swafford when he left. When that came out, when that first field came out and he was in it, I was like, whoa. Um, but everybody else, I, can, I understand. I mean, I, I get it. And there's been rumors flying around for months and months and months. I mean, Hudson was definitely the one that I had never heard of even thinking about going that ended up going. Do you, last kind of question, I think on this, like, do you feel like you know, it's been it's been put out there in the media by a couple of players, maybe, and some players are more vocal than others. But uh, you know, players talking about how they 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 all feel like with the guys that are in this lawsuit that that they that they feel like it's an attack on all the, on all of you guys, all the PGA Tour players. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that way? Do you feel it? Do you do you take it kind of personal? Yeah, I mean, I was I was uh, yeah, it's absolutely personal because they 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 can say what they want to about not understanding what was going to happen whenever we, they got suspended and weren't going to be able to come over, come over back and play. But I mean, you made the decision to go, go. We, I have no hard feelings for you going over there. Like I'm happy for you. Awesome. Go over there. I would still have be friends and stuff like that, but don't, don't try and play both sides, you know, like don't try to have your cake and eat it too. And 
that's the one thing you don't like. Hey, like, Hey, you made the decision to go be okay with that decision. Don't come over here and try and come back and, and, and play both. I mean, the whole thing, they want to play less golf. That's not, they want to play, they want to play 15 on the tour and 14 over there. That's 29 weeks. Like that's not less golf. Yeah. That's more golf than any of them have ever played in their life. So, I mean, it's, uh, just be okay with the decision you made and go with the consequences. And you see guys kind of realizing that as they're doing their guys that pulled out of that lawsuit. Cause they're like, you know what? Like, yeah, I made my decision to come over here. I'm just going to be over here. So, yeah, I think you'll see, I think you'll kind of see a little bit of a little bit more of that. All right, let's get on to some fun stuff. We'll wrap this up, Matt. You got a completely free day, a absolutely free day to do whatever you want to do. What does that day look like for you? Uh, I'm going to play some golf. You are. Okay. So see, there's <laughs> yeah, a lot of guys yeah. who are like, I'm not touching a golf club. You're a golf addict. Yeah. I, yeah oh man. I'm a golf addict. I, I love it. And well, as you know, there's not a whole lot to do in Aiken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's when you ride horses, which I think your yeah, wife yeah. does. Uh, yeah. My, yeah. My wife, my wife does. So we'd probably, uh, we'd probably go and, um, I'd play some golf, drink, drink a few beers with the boys, go to the, go to the farm and hang out a little bit, maybe fish a little bit. And, maybe cook some food and have some people over just, just kind of relax. Yep. All right. How or you're a South Carolina fan. Okay. We're Georgia, we're Georgia bulldog guys all the way. Um, we don't, I mind. grew up a Georgia fan. You did. What happened? I you, grew up a Georgia. You got recruited. To I South wanted, Carolina. I wanted to go play for Bill, Bill McDonald. And when I got there, they had Connor Shaw and Marcus Lattimore and Alshon Jeffrey. And we were actually pretty good. good. So they lured me in and then they were like, and then two years later, they're like, see, this is what it's like to be a Carolina fan. We win like six games a year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess this kind of answers my next question, because I was going to say, how old were you when you were allowed to do your first Go Cox chant? But oh, I, man, I guess you was, were pretty old. It was definitely in college. Yeah, yeah it was definitely. It was, it was my freshman year of college or maybe like on a recruiting visit my like senior year or something like that. But uh, I've absolutely fallen in love with the university and the football team and like Shane Beamer's a, a good friend of mine, and I, I play golf with Justin Steph. I played golf with Justin Steph and Connor Shaw last week, and I think I, I love those guys, man. It's been a, it's definitely a little bit different. I mean, must champ it, play golf or do anything of that nature. Yeah. So, um, being able to have a little bit of an inside look into the program and things like that's been really cool. And those guys are awesome. That's cool. Um, all right, so gr- grew up around the Augusta area. What's your most memorable Masters experience? I know you've been a lot. You went a lot as a kid. Ooh. Most memorable uh, experience going to Augusta? Uh, man, I remember. I, I can't remember if it was the exact same year, but I remember going on Sunday when Tiger eagled uh, six. I was sitting in the stands when he eagled six and gave that huge fist pump, even though he was in like 40th, and now he moved up to like, third but the other guys were going off like four hours later um that was really cool to kind of see him go i watched phil win on 18 that was really cool um i watched schwartzel win on 18 and watched kind of that whole uh like jason day was kind of firing through the field and i watched him make like a 35 footer on 17 that was really cool just the whole atmosphere of being around there is crazy um i remember when ustazen uh, i was there when ustazen made the double eagle on two like just a lot of really, really cool memories. Yeah, that's those are those are good ones. Um, do you play? Do you play any fantasy football, or do you enjoy? Oh yeah, you do. You're a fantasy oh, yeah. football guy. Yeah. Uh, well, I wouldn't say I put a whole lot of effort into the picks. Yeah. But I follow along. I I, I kind of follow along. I'm the worst at trying to like trade stuff like that. I, I'm, I'm a stats guy, so like I look at it. I'm like, is this really worth it? And <laughs> right. I never make a decision the entire time. <laughs> right. But you play, you play in like a buddies league or something? How many leagues are you in? I do. I do. I play, uh, so I play in a league with, uh, I'm trying to think, with a couple of buddies from college, a couple of buddies from college. And then I, we do a pick em, we do a pick em, a 10 game, or a 10, 10 games a week pick em on college football. So are you like, uh, you're like Tom Hoagie on a Saturday, you're walking down the fairway checking mm-hmm. your phone? See, hey, Siwoo's was a big gambler as well. Is he? Siwoo, I didn't even yeah, know that. Siwoo, so Siwu loves to gamble on baseball and uh, mm-hmm. baseball and soccer. And like I, when we were playing at Valero, he's just sitting in there looking at his phone. He had it in his yardage book. And he looked at his cat. He goes, Dodgers plus 225. <laughs> <laughs> the legend is growing. God dang it. Uh, the legend great, is growing. Man. This is great. Uh, 
That's funny. Um, do you do any like like so when you go to Vegas, are you are you in the casinos at all? Are you do you like to do any of that? I I could sit at a blackjack table for an unhealthy amount of you're time. You're just like Tom Hoagie. You're, you're freaking t- you ever play with Tom Hoagie? Like you guys could Oh yeah. We had him on the show. We oh, did a yeah. we did a uh, an over under parlay. We built an over under parlay card for uh SEC win totals and Big 12 win total. Yeah, he's uh he's he loves it. That man can send it. In so, a, in a, he put him in a in a in a little, uh, what what are they called? The not the the um Crafts tables? What's this? No, the little, they've got all the, everybody, all the people who can gamble at a sports book. Yeah. Or, 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 or they, they got all the TVs. Yeah, everybody can just book. grind out like a game all the, the whole time. That's, I'm, I'm not quite like that, but Hoagie, Hoagie can send it over there. Well, I think Blackjack's his, like, he goes to the Blackjack table when he's, when he wants a little break from craps, but you're Blackjack all day. All day. All day long. I can sit there forever. I don't know. I don't know why. But I could sit there all day long, and I always go with Grayson, and Grayson wins all the money in the world, and I come uh, out like barely break even every time. Sig's the luckiest person in a casino of all time. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what he's doing, what, but I need uh, some of it. Do you, I mean obviously you guys aren't allowed to play like you can't bet on golf, you can't play DraftKings golf, but you wish you could. You wish you you could be like, man, it'd be fun to do like a lineup. A DraftKings lineup. No, no. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of the guy. Like, I am a golf junkie, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna watch any golf. Like, if I, I haven't, I haven't seen a shot since I missed the cut of Memphis. You don't watch? I haven't it watched. It, not at all. Wow. I mean, I still kind of keep up with it. You, you see that, like, Rory won, or uh, I guess Cantlay won in the BMW. But like, I didn't like. I come into Palmetto and they'd be like, "Well, so did you see the last three holes last night?" I'm like, no. Like, <laughs> I'm just hanging out, man. <laughs> um. All right, guilty pleasure, music, band, or artist. Guilty pleasure. So somebody that you like listening to, but you're a little embarrassed to say you like listening to. Probably probably Ed Sheeran or Michelle Branch. Michelle Branch? Love other, Michelle Other Branch. than that one song? Does she have any others? <laughs> well, here's the thing. So Richie Wierenski, who lives here, put on Pandora, and we were riding in the car the other day of Michelle Branch Radio. Stop, and you don't realize stop. how many... You don't really realize Interviews how many over. good ones she did. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? Hey, you said guilty pleasure. You didn't that is, say what do I listen you, to you, every day. You won. You you won that question. <laughs> R- Richie Wierenski having a Michelle Branch playlist on is wild. Hey, he like hey, he said he loves to cut grass to it. So it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> do you are do you are you a podcast guy? Do you listen to any podcasts? I listen to I listen to South Carolina podcasts. Uh, That's about it. All right. What about YouTube? You YouTube channel guy, YouTube guy? Uh, not really. I will. I, another guilty pleasure. I will watch full games of South Carolina games from stop. Because I, I old you know, games. Yeah, I will. I will watch old games. Well, because one, there's there's college. Like I remember. And I'm not a guy who's not going to remember exactly what happened. Like I don't remember. I'm like that. Like too. there's. I remember nothing. So so like it, so if you sit there and you tell me like I remember the George game, but when I was there, but I don't remember the Florida game that we won. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, well, this is like watching it live. Just go in there. And, and a lot of people like condensed them to yeah, like 30 yeah. minutes and you can just watch them I'm like, oh, okay, that's how we want. Cause you, I mean, I have friends that you'll go and talk to them and they'll be like, oh, we had that fourth down and yeah. three, like, say, like 12 years ago. You don't remember the, I'm like, <laughs> no, I don't remember anything. I'm like that, dude. I, I'm terrible. Um, I have a bad golf memory too. Like I played, I played the same course. I played the course in Puerto Rico. Have you played that course in Puerto Rico? The, uh, the Grand Reserve? Yeah. The one. Yeah, is that the is that the place where they do the Puerto Rico Open? Yeah, I just got back from yeah. there. Um, yeah, I, I played, I played the course twice. I probably remember, can't remember any. Holes. I remember maybe the first hole and the last hole. I can't remember anything else. Um, but I'm not, see, I'm not like that. I could remember. I could. Yeah, I, golfers. I you guys remember buddies. everything. I remember my buddy. I'm like, so what'd you do on like ten? He was playing like a pro assistant something. He was like, I don't even know what hole ten is. I'm like, well, yeah. can you like walk it back for me? Like, like. How you can't? How can you not remember it? You did it today. <laughs> That's exactly how I am. Um, all right, now Sig. Speaking of Sig, we talked about this with him. Like he's he's not really active on social media, but he's a stalker. He's on there a lot. And you're not very mm-hmm. active either. But are you a stalker? Or you you just kind of stay off of it. I actually do. I actually don't have it. I don't have my my wife runs it for the most part, mm. or uh, my agent. Um, I don't. I don't even look. I don't. I don't even have it on my phone. I'm like. I, I'm not, I'm not uh, confident enough to do what Sep does. Sep Straka has a flip phone. I'm not confident Stop. enough for that. Sep yet. has a flip yeah. phone? I was just with Sep. 
Yeah. Well, he, he goes back and forth. He's like, he's like, if I feel like I'm getting too big on my iPhone, I'll go to my flip phone. <laughs> hey, I respect that. Um, I do too. Huh? But basically now you have confessed to me that you've been catfishing me because I thought I was DMing you on Instagram, but you're apparently it was your wife or your, your agent. Well, sometimes <laughs> I, I go, I go back on there sometimes. I haven't been on there in about a month. So it's, it's hit. Yeah. Well, it also, if like, I don't reply, I also feel bad because like, if I get back on it, there will be messages from like a month and a half ago that I've never replied to from people that like, I like or something like that. I'll be like, damn, I feel bad for not not replying. They just think I don't like, I don't, I don't know. That's okay. We'd rather you you just do, do you do you, but staying off of social (laughs) media is great. Um, so when you're doing an interview on the tour or podcast, whatever, What's like, what are, what's the one question that you hate getting asked the most that you feel like you get asked? Like, what do you just like, as soon as it starts coming out of their mouth and it could be a question I've already asked you, that's fine. You just start, kind of start <laughs> thinking like, oh man, I hate this question. I wish I wouldn't ask. I don't that. know. Lately, lately it's just always been so like, what do you think of live? <laughs> you know uh, yeah, what I mean? No. I've gotten that. Yeah. You get that. I've gotten that question so many times from playing in like pro-ams and stuff like that. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I think I think half the part's been the media. The media has just given them so much power because I've asked, I've been asking people like, do you even watch? Have you watched any of if I live tournament? They're like, no. I'm like, so what do we care about? <laughs> like, yeah, you know what I mean. Like no one. Like yeah, they've made a big splash and like the the they've taken some players, but no one's still nobody's really watching their uh, their products. You know what yeah. I mean? So. Uh, nobody the the live stuff is just it's so it's so out in front of your face that you just can't stop if you're if you're any kind of golf fan or you follow golf at a close level there's you just can't avoid it so it's constantly top of mind um yeah for sure all right two more questions and we're done what would you shoot on a good day Uh, let's say let's say it's a pretty good day like it's a matinee smith's playing good right now on I want a local courses. Now you're at Palmetto, which I didn't know you were going to be there until, uh, until we, we got on here. I love Palmetto. So that's a local course. We'll throw that one in there. But I'm curious, like, like I've, I've talked to Luke List and Norlander. I play out at Champions Retreat, and I've seen those guys playing out there from the tips um, and asked them this question. But, like, what do you shoot on a really good day from some of these local courses, like Palmetto, Augusta Country Club, Champions Retreat, Sage Valley. I know you play the Junior Invitational at Sage. Good day, Matt Nathan. Just- what are we shooting? It just kind of depends. Like, you, I mean, an average the way I talk about was Brownie and kids. On an average day here, if we play pretty average, we're going to shoot about five to six hundred. That's just the way, I mean, you get comfortable with the whole thing. Um, a good day, you probably shoot 61, 62, somewhere in there, if you, if you play really good. And does that, do you feel like that's different from like Palmetto to Champions? I feel like those courses are. A little different. Yeah, a little, a, a, a little bit. Like champions, if you shoot longer. like sixty four, you probably played pretty good. Yeah. Like sixty four would be probably playing pretty good. Sixty four, sixty three, somewhere in that. How much better do you think that gets? It's probably still probably all comes down to putting. But how much better do you think that gets if you play from like the the member tees? Well, I I actually did this the other day. Like I, I we played a pro am uh, the other day from like sixty two hundred yards, and you hit driver, and then you hit wedges and everything. And you get done, and you're like, "Man, my wedge game sucks." So like, <laughs> I need to, I need to putt better. You, dial you that still got to, like, you still got to play like, like even if you shoot like 59 from the from the up tees, like you still got to do everything. Like you're sure, like even if you can play from really short, like your wedges have to be really good. If there's a bunch of drivable holes, like your short game's got to be pretty good. Like you, you still have to hit all the shots. It's yeah. still somewhat impressive you know what i mean it's still pretty impressive like even if you just played the red tees for a month i don't know if i could shoot 59 uh at palmetto probably but i don't know i don't have enough time to ever try it yeah (laughs) i don't know that'd be fun all right so matt uh two truths one lie hit me one uh let's see let's see let's see let's see Go ahead. I'm just going to be looking for a futures bet on you winning uh, Shriners. <laughs> Shriners. Let's see. Um, there's definitely. Uh, I've shot 58 at Palmetto. Okay. Um, I played AAU basketball till ninth grade, huh. travel basketball. Um, and I've known. I've known Scott Brown and Kevin since they were, since Scott had hair. So, <laughs> thir, thir, so when they were fourteen, probably. 
Okay, let me do the math on that because you're you're like 29, 28? 28. Brownie's much older than you. Brownie my age? Uh, damn. Has Brownie ever had hair? Um, <laughs> I'm going to say... I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I don't know how big you are actually, but you said you were kind of a big. You were a big guy, maybe. So the AAU B ball thing, I could get. Uh, I think that's true. Um, and you had to have known Kiz and Brownie for a while because you grew up in in North Augusta and Aiken area. So I'm gonna say it's the the lie is the 58 from Palmetto. Uh, you have got. That's the lie. I shot 50, I shot, I've shot 59 at Palmetto, and I've known Brownie and Kiz since I was. My, so I had a cousin Wesley Carter that played at North Augusta, who is the same age as Brownie and Kiss. So I used to go out and watch them when they were in high school. And nice. so I've known both of them for as basically since I could pick up a golf club. So you shot a 59 from Palmetto from what tees? The back tees? The back, yeah, the back tees. Damn. <laughs> Damn. I mean, that's like, you, you know, Palmetto, I would think, is probably a really, that's a, I mean, the, the green complexes are so nasty at Palmetto. I would think that that's a really good spot to improve short game. It's great. It's that's why it's why we've got four PGA Tour players with a driving range that's 200 yards long. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, that is irritating. Um, it's it's amazing. It's amazing for uh, the stuff you can do on the golf course and around the golf course, practice wise and stuff yeah. like that. And we absolutely love being here. So it's been really cool. AAU basketball, huh? You're good. You're good. Basketball AAU player. basketball. Did you I hang mean, that up to I'm, like focus on golf more in high school or? Yeah, I hung it. I hung it up to focus on golf when I realized I was slow. <laughs> I was not physical. I could shoot a little bit, yeah. but I, I was like, I don't really want to put all this effort in. Yeah, but I was huge. I was huge at like I haven't grown an inch. Like I'm six one, and I haven't grown an inch since like seventh grade. Oh yeah, yeah. So so, so like so like basketball was like my thing younger because I was just way bigger than everybody. Yeah, and I didn't have to be physical because no one was. Everybody was so small. Yeah, but then when everybody got everybody got bigger and more physical, and like I was like, yeah, I'm I'm good. I'm way better at golf than I am basketball. Anyway, I'll just hang up. I'll hang up the AAU cleats or yeah. AAU shoes for a little for a little while. Interesting. I think you know, Pete, you could you could assemble maybe a, a decent basketball squad from guys on the PJ Tour with you and Gary Woodland, and I don't know who else, but other guys who played basketball. Yeah, my, my <laughs> Gary, uh, Gary, Gary's. <clears throat> Nasty. Gary was a player. Gary's, Gary, yeah, Gary's nasty at basketball. Uh, Matt, this is, uh, this is a lot of fun. We appreciate you coming on the Tour Junkies podcast, man. Awesome, man. Thank you for having me.